Hello, Jack McKeon, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And hello again as we bring you another edition of of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players and today, managers. It's Davo, and I get made fun of by my friends all the time. They call me a prisoner of the moment. You know, I really embrace moments, and after every interview, I'll, I'll swear that's my favorite interview of all time because I enjoy talking to every single current and former Royals player. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they were here for one day or, you know, 20 years. They all gave something to the organization. They all deserve to be remembered and have their stories told, and it's great talking to all of them. But today, I, I am thrilled. Jack McKeon is joining us on Clubhouse Conversation. There aren't too many living baseball men that have the pedigree and the stories that Jack McKeon has. Going back to his days as a minor league catcher and a player manager in the minor leagues and eventually coming over and managing the Royals in the minor leagues and in Kansas City as well from 1973 to 1975. But that's just a blip on the radar for this man. He's gone on and... I mean, what, GM of the, the Padres for several years and managed the Padres and the Reds and the A's. And, of course, we all know about the Florida Marlins and the World Series championship he won in 2003, coming back in 2011 when he's 80 years old. We'll talk about all that, I'm assuming, and so much more. Thrilled would be an understatement to have Jack McKeon joining us on Clubhouse Conversation. Jack, it's a pleasure. First of all, thank you. And, and how are you doing and what's keeping you busy these days in 2015? I'm doing great. Hanging around, taking it easy, waiting for spring training to start, doing a little speaking here and there. A little beer before we know it, for sure. You're out in uh, in the Burlington, North Carolina area these days, which is uh, right. obviously, obviously the Royals have a rookie ball team there, the B-Royals. Do you ever go out there and watch them play? Oh, occasionally, yeah. I They've had, uh, you know, minor league baseball for years, years here in Burlington. Nice little city, good little uh, uh facility here and they take care of the players pretty well yeah it's a nice town i used to talk and date date a girl that went to elon there university so <laughs> it's a yeah hey, i graduated from elon yeah it's a nice little area nice nice campus too um very nice so while we're talking about the current day royals then so what'd you think of the 2014 uh royals postseason run i thought it was outstanding really i, I was rooting for them all the way you know uh, we get so tired of seeing the giants yankees uh, Tigers and a few of these clubs in it consistently. It's uh, it's great to see, uh, you know, clubs like Kansas City, Florida, uh, some of the other smaller cities get a chance to, you know, get in the limelight. Yeah, it was kind of like your 03 Marlins in a way, except we didn't win it, obviously. But, you know, going from the wild card all the way there, quite the magical run it was for the Royals. Yes, it was. It, it reminded me a great deal of, the, you know, the, the spunk that those players had and the the camaraderie that they had, and, uh, you know, they had, they had that great uh, will to win and great desire. Now, before we go back to the good old days, I wanted to also let you know I just ordered your uh, your two books, uh, Jack of All Trades, and I'm, I'm just getting started. Kind of tell our listeners, you know, what's in the books and all about them. Well, you know, the first one, Jack of All Trades, goes back to, you know, all my days probably growing up and then in my minor league days. And, uh, of course, the... Uh, the one I'm just getting started is a, a little bit more of a major league style thing, and uh, what happened in in uh, Florida, and uh, trying to uh, excite the senior generation to you know stay healthy, uh, work at it. Kind of a you know a educational book on senior citizens. Very cool. Can't wait to read them. Now let's go way back in time then and start kind of from the beginning. So you went to high school. You grew up in uh, in the South Amboy, New Jersey area, obviously. So first of right, all, I'm right. I'm up there. I'm up there right now. Yeah. Okay. So tell our listeners exactly where is that, and then is that also true that you were a huge Yankees fan growing up, going to games there and everything? I live in uh, it's in Central Jersey. It's the 
South Elmwood, a little town, about 10,000 people. It's the starting of the shore. And I, I grew up there and uh, played all sports and, you know, got a chance to go to uh, Yankee Stadium, Ebbets Field, Polo Grounds when I was a youngster. And, you know, you could ride the train up there for 25, 30 cents and <laughs> spend the whole day in New York and get back in time uh, before midnight. So it was a... Uh, it was quite an experience, you know. You can't go up there like we did uh, years ago today. Uh, you can't stand on the streets and ride the subways like we did. Yeah. Too, da- too dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. So, now you were not only baseball, but also basketball there at St. Mary's High School. Very good at that. And then a Pittsburgh scout named Gene Thomas kind of, you know, found you and signed you to your first pro contract. So, so how did Gene find you, and then what do you remember about uh, signing with the Pirates? Well, it was a funny thing, you know, uh, playing high school baseball. They didn't have the draft in those days. And, and and right next door to my father's garage taxi and wrecking business was this giant scout, a uh, uh, pirate scout, uh, Gene, Tony, uh, Gene Thomas. And uh, he also worked at another job uh, uh, with the railroad. So every every day or every day during the, during the season when he was going to work while he at, uh, he worked the second shift, the third shift at the, uh, with the railroad. Uh, we'd stand down there in the corner, and he'd talk baseball to us and got to know him pretty well. And then uh, since he lived next door to my father's garage, well, we got a chance to, uh, you know, uh, speak uh, and talk baseball on a consistent basis. Well, anyway, he tried to sign me, and my father wouldn't let me sign. And then... Um, uh, he wanted me to get a college education, so I kind of uh, had a bypass signing at a high school and went on to Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass. And it was funny that you know I, I, I'm a strong religious guy, and every day I went to the dining hall. Uh, I had to pass a shrine of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I stopped by on my way back to my dorm and maybe pray a little bit and ask the Virgin Mary if she would uh, be kind enough to try to intercede with the good Lord and see if he couldn't convince my father to let me sign. (laughs) Well, you know, I went home for Christmas vacation and the scouts came back to the uh, the house, Gene Thomas and another, uh, his boss from Pittsburgh, uh, Polk Whalen, they came to the house and and my father called me in the next room and said, hey, you really want to play, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'll make a deal with you. If you promise me you'll get a college education, I'll, I'll let you sign. So I said, that was a piece of cake. So that's how I got my chance to start my uh, professional career. And I started out in Greenville, Alabama, in the Alabama State League. And uh, in my first year, we won the, we won the pennant. We were uh, seven Six games. Six games behind with 12 games to go. <laughs> and, Darn, if we don't tie the last day of the season, we tie and have a one-game playoff and win the play, win the pennant. Oh, I love that it. Was, that was a great, great experience my first year. Yeah, well, so you mentioned the Greenville Pirates. Well, then the next year, some very interesting things happened. So 1950, you're with the Gloversville-Johnstown Glovers. Now, you had... Two bad luck things happened, and one very good luck, obviously. But the bad things were you got hit in the head by a pitch, so you missed uh, some time there. You got you injured your knee real badly at second base then, and no, then my ankle. My, my oh, ankle. Ankle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that. So now this is also the year that you almost lost your life with the train explosion. But before we talk about that, though, so how frustrating was it dealing with those injuries that year? Well, you know, it wasn't too bad. At least I got a chance to play. I started the season over York, uh, York, PA, in the interstate league. And, uh, you know, I was kind of a backup guy. I wouldn't get a chance to play. So it's not like today where everybody got an ego they want to play higher baseball. I was in Class B at the time. And I went up to the manager, Frank Oziak, and I said, hey, you know, send me down. Send me down to Class C or somewhere where I can play. I want to play. I don't want to sit on the bench. So that's how I got a chance to go to Gloversville. And I went to Gloversville and started off pretty good and then uh, was over at Pittsfield, Mass., and Brooks Lawrence, the old major league pitcher was that bad and I was catching and he swung and topped the ball in front of the place. Well I was like a cat. I went out and jumped jumped on the ball, turned around to tag him, 
just as he was finishing his swing and started to go to first. Well, he carried the bat through and hit me right in the, right in the forehead. And you know, so I tagged him out. And next thing I know, I was in the hospital getting sewed up. But uh, uh, then I broke my ankle. And, and the funny thing is, I broke my ankle in, uh, I don't know, what May, I guess. And the general manager says, well, you're not going to be able to play for six or seven weeks. Why don't you go home? I said, "Well, I'll, I'll go home. I'll go home on Sunday when the team goes goes to um, goes on the road to Canada." And uh, he said, oh, "Why don't you go home tomorrow? You know, you can't." I know. I said, "I'll stick around." Well, that was on a. I think that was on a, uh, on a Thursday night. He's trying to convince me to go home Friday, and I I decided not to, and just so happened that. Uh, in my hometown of South Amboy, uh, two ships with anti-personnel mines going to Pakistan blow up, exploded, and just about tore all the houses in town, my uh, my home, uh, all the ceilings and the walls and the windows were blown out. It looked like a, you know it was hit by a bomb. So I got saved from. I would have been passing on a train. I would have been pra- uh, passing about three minutes before the explosion. <laughs> so I, I guess, you know, I was pretty lucky there. Yeah, no doubt. It said that 33 people had, you know, passed away, yeah. unfortunately. I read that. So, right, yeah. So so now you're obviously, like like you mentioned earlier, a, a devout you know, religious man and everything. Did, did that event maybe even make you believe a little bit more after that? Well, I had, I had some, you know, I had, as, as my career went, went on, you know, I, I always speak about how much faith I have in the power of prayer. Well, I'll give you another example. Is I was over at Madison, Cincinnati, and, you know, had pretty good successful years there and won 90, 96 games in 99 and then win the you know, one-game playoff for the, for the pennant and lost that. And then uh, got fired the next year. We only won 86. So I was 70 years old then, and I figured, well, that's the end of the line. You know, no one's going to. So I used to go to church every day, and St. Therese in the Catholic Church is a uh, prodigy of miracles. And, of course, at 70, you know, I needed a miracle. So I prayed to her and asked her if she would once again intercede with the good Lord. I, I didn't think my career was fulfilled, and I'd like one more chance. Well, two years later, I got a call from the Florida Marlins. Want me to take over the club? I take it over, ten games behind. All of a sudden, come up with the best record in the in, in the National League the rest of the season, and went on to go win the World Series. So once again, I, I, I you know used the power of prayer as being instrumental in helping me get where I wanted to be. Absolutely. So then, so 1951, then the year after all that happened. So you're in the military then. You're a, a player manager for the Samson Air Force base team, and you guys won the Air Force championship. So, first of all, tell us about your year in the Air Force, and then also how special was it, you know, playing with those guys? Well, it was, fun. it was funny because I was, uh, I, when I enlisted in the Air Force after the serious season at Cloverville, and went into the service, and I happened to. They happened to open up a, a base in Sampson, New York, Geneva, New York. It was just a new base opened up for the Air Force. And they needed all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, people, uh, sergeants and corporals and everything. And I happened to get in there and I guess, I guess December, November, December, and I saw the sign-up there saying baseball tryouts uh, for the base team. So I went down and I was working out and, this uh, commanding officer came over to coach at the time, uh, Dave Tuno, and comes over there and he says, "Hey, uh, you played pro ball, I mean, I said, "Yeah." He said, "I can tell." And he said, "With who?" I said, "The Pirates." Oh man, he said, "I'm from Pittsburgh. That's my team." Huh. Well, you know, I got it made now, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, he's a high-ranking uh, officer in that new base, uh, charge of promotions and AFC serial numbers and everything. So. Uh, uh, we started the season, and he had to give up some of his duties because he had too much to do. So I, I was put in charge, and I had about, I had about ten, fifteen professional players on the team. So we went on to win the world, you know, the world championship. It was a piece of cake, really. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, in retrospect, I'm sure. So, so 1952. Then that next year, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Hutchinson, Kansas, since obviously that's close to us here in Kansas City, and they don't have a pro team, you know, long ago anymore here. So, you know, that's you're there for a couple years, I guess. But you know, your memories of Hutch, what that was like. Well, I loved Hutch really. You know, I got a chance to see my first hurricane. I mean, not my first hurricane, <laughs> my uh, first uh, tornado. What do you call it a tornado. Yeah. And uh, I got to uh, experience that, but. Uh, I had I had some great times out there. Dick Wagner was the general manager of the uh, of the Hutchinson team at that time, and I went on and uh, and then moved out of Hutchinson, went on to Burlington, North Carolina. But then that was in '53, and then '54, Branch Rickey called me. Now you know, I, uh, uh, we were I was I was working out in Burlington, North Carolina, '54, and was a second string catcher. Now I had caught every game in the year of '53, but they had signed us catcher Pete Nathan at a Holy Cross who was a big bonus player at the time so he got a chance to catch and I was kind of a player coach and then one morning I get a call the general manager gets a call from uh, Ranch Ricky and he said they called me up the office I was out there working out one morning and he said Mr. Ricky called here and wants you to do him a favor I said what's that he said he wants you to go to Hutchinson Kansas <laughs> and they're trying to get in the playoffs Oh God, we're first place here, and 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 this general manager, you want to manage, don't you? I said, why don't you do him a favor? So I said, okay. He said he's going to call back in an hour. He called back in an hour. and said, tell him I'll go. Well, when I get to tell and talk to him, he said after I tell him I would go and do him a favor, he said, now I'll tell you, you're going out there to manage the team. Wow. Oh man, I hopped in my old '49 Plymouth, and I was supposed to meet him in. In Ponca City, Oklahoma, and they said, "Now don't don't worry about taking over while the club's on the road. You're on the road for three or four more days. When you get back to Hutchinson, you'll take over. I was going to replace George Genevieve. Anyway, I'm sitting around with Jim Wall one day after being in Ponca City for two days, and I pick up the newspaper and it says, "Larry Thornton named manager of the Elks. That was the hut. I said, "I suppose I'm supposed to be the manager." Well. There comes Dick Wagner. He drives over and explains to me that Branch made a mistake. And then Branch flew into Hutchison, called me up a suite at the hotel, and told me that, you know, um, uh, it was his fault that he didn't inform the farm director that he had, uh, uh, you know, selected me to manage, and the farm director had someone else to go in and manage it. But I could have a choice of going back to um, Burlington, go to Williamsport Double A, or go stay here at Hutchinson, but he said, I'll promise you one thing. You will be the manager of this team next year. Eh, no big deal. You know, five or six weeks to go in the season. I said, whatever you want me to do, Branch, he said, stay here. So I stayed there. <laughs> now here's, you know, so this is great, man. This is, talk about a crazy career. <laughs> I'm going to be the manager, right? right? All set. I'm all excited. The league folded. <laughs> of course. So I'm out of a, I don't have a job. Now. Of course. So that's 55. So that's when I decide, well, I need I need another semester to graduate from Elon. In the meantime, I get a call from Fayetteville, North Carolina, independent club, uh, want me to play. Well, I could drive every night, commute. It's about 60 miles, but I commuted every night to different teams around the Carolina to go to school in the morning, play at night. Huh. Well, I go in there, and all of a sudden I'm in there having a great start. The general manager calls me in. He says, uh, got to let you go. Uh, tomorrow's cut-down day. we got to cut the 15 veterans. And Aaron Robinson, the old Yankee catcher, is the manager. And he said, if he does, you want to manage, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, if he doesn't catch the next two weeks, don't you do anything. He said, because if he doesn't play, you're going to be the manager. Well, the next day, Johnny Murphy from the Red Sox called. And he said, hey, our catcher over at Greensburg got hurt. Uh, Zimmerman, and I, I need a catcher. Would you do me a favor? I said, well, I got a chance maybe to manage this club. He said, uh, I said, if, I'll go over there and help you out if you give me permission to, 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 would you release me if I get the job? He said, yeah, okay. So I go over there. I play about 10 days. Fayetteville calls. They fired the manager, Aaron Robinson. So I got to take over. So I take over at Clubison last place. 
I take them all the way to the All-Star game, and we're first place. And uh, played this doubleheader this night against Burlington, beat them two to one, one to nothing. And I hadn't hurt my hand and couldn't catch for about ten days. And as I'm leaving the ballpark, the general manager called me and he said, uh, "Come here, I gotta let you go. <laughs> you can't if you can't play, we can't pay." <laughs> no way. So, yeah. So so Robinson gets fired because he couldn't play, and I got fired because I couldn't play. You took him anyway, to first place though. That's great. Yeah, but that's I left him in the first place. <laughs> but, but there was only you know only three weeks, three or four weeks to go to season, so I didn't didn't matter. Yeah, talk about cutthroat, man. Good grief. Yeah, so. you're right. You're talking about <laughs> so now wait a minute. I was going okay. So now I, I I'm back at Elon, and I get a I get a I get a wire from Nick Mariano, Missoula, Montana. Yep. Me me playing manager. Are you interested? And uh, I need a hustling playing manager. Are you interested? So I, 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 shit, I left the, I left the, uh, I left the class, the final exam. Went and called this guy. He said, "Look, I just bought the Ogden Club. I've only got three players. Can you get some players? I don't have a place to train. Can you find a training place?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "Okay." So I end up having a tryout. Uh, uh, I, I have a tryout camp, and I get a place to train up in Newton, North Carolina. <laughs> and I'm hiring all these players, and I take a trip to Florida to uh, see if I can round up players. And in the meantime, I rounded up a bunch of players, took the team to Missoula. We finished 61-71 with a bunch of scrubinis. <laughs> I eventually got on a uh, working agreement with the Minnesota Twins the next year, and uh, everything worked out. Yeah, I mean, you were yeah. So you were the, three years in Missoula, right? Fifty six to fifty eight, right, yeah. and then I had Jim Cott and fifty uh, eight. Yeah. Yeah, I've also got a, you spent fifty nine in the Fox Cities, but back to Missoula. So I, I found I found online that you pitched some games supposedly there, but I can't find. There's no stats, so I, I need to know the honest truth. How'd you do pitching there those those years? Oh, I did I, I did great pitching. You know, when you when I was at Missoula, you only have a seventeen man roster. So how many pitchers can you carry? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the way it was today. You know, these guys all got thirty players, twenty eight players, and all these taxi squads. We had 17 players. I was a playing manager. I was a catcher. So the only extra guy we had was the, was Chuck Weatherspoon, who was he was the backup catcher and a utility player and everything. So he carried eight pitchers. So when you had when you had a guy get racked around in the second, third, or fourth inning, I'd go in and pitch the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth, and I did well. I had to, I had to that Adam pitch. I just threw the ball all over the place, and they seemed to hit it at him. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll tell you a funny one, though. And I had the umpires. You know, I had, I had the umpires Buffalo. I was playing at Pocatello one night, and this catcher, oh, I can't think of his name now. He could put, I'm pitching, and we're getting a heck beat out of it. And the bases are loaded and one out. And I throw this guy a pitch, and he whacks it out of the ballpark. <laughs> Right down the foul line, fair ball. Well, I run off the mound. Oh, foul, foul. And the umpire, Joe Ring, he calls it foul. <laughs> well, that was great. <laughs> the next pitch, he hit into a double play. <laughs> so, oh, we had, you had some fun in those days. You couldn't, you don't have, you don't have that stuff in the minor leagues today like you did, or the big leagues, you know, where it was, you were colorful and, you, and the fans, got, you got to enjoy it, you know, and, had arguments with the umpires and stuff like that. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, so being a player manager, was it easy to get respect to the teammates? I mean, that wasn't a big deal back then? No, it wasn't It wasn't a big deal. Really, uh, you know, you had a lot of young guys. You know, people say to me, even when I went back managing at 72, well, how could you, you know, the generation, you, you know, you, you, you're not in hep with the, with the young guys. Baloney, I, I, you know, managed those guys 17, 18 years old, all the way up. And I got grandkids, so I know all about, you know, the different generations. Yeah. But yeah. it was no problem. 
Well, so you, you kind of quit playing then after 1959 and be, shifted over into a full-time manager and scout as well. So you, you know, Senators and Twins, you were doing that during most of the 60s. And then here comes the fun part for me, at least. So, so the Royals, 1968, you win a championship there at High Point Thomasville. So first of all, how did you, you know, get hired by the Royals, and what do you remember about the process of getting hired back in 1968? Well, I was scouting, I was scouting for the Twins, and I wanted to get back managing. And I don't know how, I, I, I really don't remember how it came about. But anyway, I had an opportunity to, 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 to hook on with Lou Gorman and John Shoreholtz with the Royals with the idea that I would, that was the year they were, uh, you know, uh, ready for expansion. So I was going to scout uh, a 68 and manage the, the Omaha Royal AAA from then on. Well, in 68, I was, I was scouting, I scouted the I scouted the, uh, the Detroit Tigers and the Washington Senators for the expansion draft. In the meantime, Bill Dessa, and we weren't allowed to have any farm teams, you know, because we weren't in baseball, really. Uh, so Bill Jessup, the president of the league, calls me and says, Jack, I'll do me a favor. I need a manager and general manager to high point. I said, well, I, you know, I'm working for the Twins. I mean, for the Royals. And I said, by the way, i got a bright idea. I said, let me call Lou Gorman and see if it would be all right. So I called Lou, and I said, Lou, this is great, man. I said, I got an opportunity to manage this independent team down here. And I said, do you realize that I'll be in charge? Then we can see some players, and we can sign them. I can sign them for a high point. And at the end of the year, we'll turn them over to the, to the Royals. Oh, that was a great idea, which we did. We did. I had Monty Montgomery and... Tony's, I got Tony Salida from the Yankees, and I got uh, oh a number of guys, uh, Tommy Ragland. From the, I got a bunch of guys from all over, different teams, and we went, we we, we would go, go ahead and win the pennant there, and so that was my start of getting with the Royals. Yeah, I just talked to Monty a while ago. He's there close to you out there in North Carolina these days. Yeah, yeah, he's over here. Delville, I think. Yeah, yep. very nice guy. So uh, now you, you mentioned Omaha, 1969 to 1972. You're twice manager of the year, back-to-back pennants there in 69 and 70. So what are your favorite memories of those Omaha years? Uh, well, 69 had cra- probably had the craziest you know, team I ever had. We had the you know, expansion drafts. So we got all these next major leaguers. That, you know, they, they were goofy, but we went. And then uh, I think that the biggest thing was uh, it was turning that franchise around. They've been out of baseball for seven years, and, and coming in with back-to-back winning seasons, and 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 helping get the stadium cleaned up, and uh, and refurbished, uh, and, and meeting so many wonderful people out there, right? and, and having some good players with the, with the Royals. And I think probably my my most enjoyable thing was being able to uh, convince. The Royal management on certain players that could play in the big leagues, and uh, and uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, I'll never forget Paul Splitter. He was only a, a 19-year-old kid, something like that, at some college out there in the Midwest. And I'd had him at home. He was he was scheduled to he pitched in a rookie league, and I wanted to take him at AAA the next year. And I remember Charlie Metro being in charge of the minor leagues, and he didn't want me to take him or Al Fitzmaurice. And I, these kids are young kids at a Carolina league and rookie league. And uh, I'm not going. I'm not. Don't you complain in the middle of the year if you need some help. Don't worry about it. But I got those guys to go to Omaha. Well, the next year, Spurrier went to spring training, and he had a bad spring. No, yeah, he, he had a good spring training, and they took him to the big leagues. And he got racked around and. The next spring, they said, oh, they, they kind of shoved them aside, and they sent them to me. And, uh, you know, I kept preaching to the kid that you're going to be all right. And finally, they needed a pitcher, and they called me, and they said, the, the one that's so-and-so. I said, no, you don't want him. Take Splitoff. Oh, nobody likes Splitoff. I said, take Splitoff. And they finally did, and, you know, he succeeded up there for a number of years. Wow. That's the way. It, that's the way it was, you know. What did you see in Split? You just saw the, the moxie and the makeup and the stuff, and I mean, you could just tell. Well, I saw the makeup. I saw the guy that had so much desire. He was he was so self-disciplined and and 
uh, a guy that uh, you know looked like he really wanted something and he worked at it. There was no he, he wasn't distracted. Certain guys, you know, Don O'Reilly, you know, he would be distracted, but guys like Splitoff would not be distracted. He said run 20 laps, he'd run 20. He didn't cut it short on 15 or 18. I mean, he was just that dedicated. Huh. Very cool. Well, so then following 1972, Bob Lemon and the Royals went their separate ways. And you had, have, I love this stat, by the way. So at that point, you had 15 seasons of minor league managing. You had 11 first place finishes out of the 15 and five manager of the year awards. So the Royals, you know, brought you up to KC and, and you got that job. But what do you remember about the process of interviewing and getting that job in 72 with KC? Well, it was no interview. It was funny thing is, you know, at the end of the year, Lem. Wanted me to, well, I went up the year before at the end of the season for two weeks to make a road trip with him. So Lem wants me to go up this year, right? So I'm going to go. I'm going to go to uh, um, join the club, but I'm going to go home for a couple of days. So I go home and I'm going to meet him in Minnesota. Now I have no idea that there's problems in Kansas City or they're thinking about you know removing Bob Lemon. Well, I go home. I joined the club in Minnesota. I'm flying to Minnesota. I pick up the Chicago paper, and I see Lemon is on his way out, and Jack McKeon's going to replace him. <laughs> oh, my. And i got to join these guys now. <laughs> well, I have no idea. So I went in, and you know, I felt really terrible. But Bob made, it, you know, Bob made me comfortable, and... I talked to him, and I said, well, I, got, I don't know anything about this stuff. Don't worry about it. Well, so I said, well, I'm, I'll go to, we went to California. I said, I'll make the, uh, Oakland and, and uh, Oakland and uh, Anaheim, and then we're going to Chicago. I said, I'm leaving after, after California. So I went home, and I got home about a week or four or five days, and Senator Callis called me and asked me to come on out. And I ended up taking over the club. But I had no idea, you know, that's amazing. That's an amazing it story. Was, it was, yeah. I was, how, do you, how do you like feeling being in a plane? Pick up the pipe for Chicago and see your name. <laughs> you can replace the guy you're going in to join. Yeah, and a dream job. You know, managing in the big leagues. You find that from the paper. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so 1973 is your first year in Kansas City. A whole bunch of stuff to talk about this year. So you guys are 88 and 74. That to that point is the best managerial record in KC history. So you guys give uh, the Oakland A's who win the championship a run for their money. You're in first place on August 15th. You almost catch them there at the end. So you know what do you remember most about that first year in KC? Well, I remember that we had a you know a chance to win the thing. I never forget. I, I probably could talk about it now, but. I had a chance to pick up. Uh, I had a chance to pick up Pat uh, uh, Dobson from Atlanta, and they wanted two of our, uh, our our young players that we had down in the minor leagues. And I had had them at Omaha, and I didn't think they were big league prospects, but the organization did. And we could add Pat Dobson. And Cedric Callis was the general manager at the time, and he didn't want to give up Al Autry and Norm Angelini. And for Pat Dobson, well, that that you know that that went by the wayside. Dobson went to the Yankees. And what do you think Dobson did after he got to the Yankees? <laughs> Nine and one, something like that, and beats us twice. Shuts us out. Oh my God! Very good to have Darren Johnson from the from the Phillies at the start of the season. And Sid Drift was. One of my scouts, one of the scouts, and he really wanted to get this guy. And they had another scout, Tom Ford, and he didn't want. He said that the, the guy couldn't see or something. So Cedric didn't. Uh, I, I said, let's go get him. No. So he went to the A's, and of course, you, if you look up his record, you see he hit about 35 home runs, knocked in about 130 runs, <laughs> and they beat us by what two games, two yeah. and a half games. Yeah, yeah. So can you imagine where we'd have been? So the biggest thing was. Oh, I'm hot. I'm hot after the Pat Dobson thing. And Cedric calls me up the office, and he says to me, uh, you don't have to win your first year in the big leagues. I said, Cedric, you win when you get a chance to win. You don't pick the time you can win. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, ain't, ain't that the truth? Look at us here in KC. We we haven't learned that lesson the hard way all these years, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you can talk about those things now, and it's, you know, those things happen. I could tell you that, you know, it's so funny. I I could have had uh, uh, Steve Carlton, and I couldn't get anybody to pull the trigger. He had a couple of scouts saying, "Oh, he's he's a drunk, and he can't do that, and do this." All he did was go out the next year and win twenty five. <laughs> Man. So, you know, you go back and say, uh, uh, you know, it, sometimes it's tough when you can't make them decisions. And when I got over to uh, at San Diego, I could make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. That's why they called you that's Trader Jack, manager. right? That's right. <laughs> pull, you pull the trigger, you, you know, you pull the trigger when you got a chance. You don't, uh, you got a chance to win it, you don't stop. I mean, uh, that's just like in Florida. We're down there and we're, uh, and Mike Lowell breaks his hand. And now I'm looking for a bat. We got a chance to get uh, uh, Jeff Conine from the Orioles on the last day of the trading deadline. And and it just so happened we had an off day. And it was I was up the office with the owner and general manager and so forth. And we had a conference call with scouting directors and farm directors. And and we're going to throw this. We're going to give them this player, Batista. But they want another player. And, oh, there's a big rigmarole. This guy's an A-ball player. Uh, oh, God, oh, he's going to be, this guy's going to be our number one, a number three starter in the big leagues in two years and this and that. And, and, and it looks like it's going downhill. We're not going to make this trade. So I get mad and I walk out the room. And the owner follows me. He says, what, what, what's, what's, what's the problem, Jack? I said, Sutter, I said, no, sir, uh, Jeffrey. When you get a chance to win, you don't let some Class A prospect hold you up. Well, he went back in that room. He said, put that guy in. And that's how we got Jeff going. <laughs> and he became Mr. Marlin, so that worked out pretty well. You know? Yeah, it worked out great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's now. The one that, he's the one that threw that, threw that ball of fuzzy uh, Rodriguez to get us uh, over the Giants series. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still mad we didn't we, we protected David Howard over him in the expansion draft. I'm still upset about that. <laughs> you know? Well, that happens, you know. Like I said, and that guy that by the way that guy was going to be our number three starter. Uh, you know, we were, we were we weren't willing to throw in. We finally did. He never got out of class A. Of course, yeah. It's, you know, prospects. So. Now, 1973, you have a 20-year-old, you know, some kid comes up, he plays 13 games, he gets 41 at-bats. His name is George Brett. Could you see early on just what kind of player he'd be someday, or was it kind of a surprise to you as the years went on? No, we saw him in spring training, and George, you know, really is one of those kind of kids you could see. He had, you know, he had stardom written all over him, but, you know, even the spring training, he tried so hard, he, he just didn't play within himself. He was trying to, you know, impress so, so bad. That we would, when we sent him to, you know, sent him to Omaha. And I never forget they wanted to bring him up. I said, send Sid, Sid Thrift. I had a lot of faith in Sid Thrift's judgment. I said, send Sid, Sid to go down there and look at these guys and see if they're ready. And Sid called me back and said, Brett's ready. Bring him up. That's, we brought him up. Yeah. And, you know, he you, you understood that he was going to the same with Tony Gwynn, you know, the. They need to get their feet on the ground. Very few guys come in and just tear up the league. If they tear up the league the first month, they tail back. The guys that start off slow generally succeed in, in being there for a long period of time. And George was George was a gamer. I mean, he, he, he was he was so intelligent. I mean, he, he was a smart player. He had great smarts and great instincts. And, and he had that, that intensity inside him that he wanted to win and he wanted to succeed. Well, he did that. He you know, he always gives a lot of credit, obviously, to Charlie Lau, who you obviously know well, had him on your staff. What was Charlie like? Well, Charlie was a good guy that could convince guys that, uh, you know, to hit certain things. The thing I was impressed with Charlie is, is not so much his mechanics, but his, his mental approach. I mean, he would, you know, like, for example, George or Frank White or whatever, whoever it was, you know, they'd bring a pitcher in, uh, the, face, the relief pitcher would come in and, Charlie would immediately tell this guy what what, what to look for and and how he was going to pitch him, and that was the thing. I, I was impressed with Charlie's uh, uh, mental approach to the game, on being able to uh, make recommendations on how the guys were going to. There's only two guys in, that I've ever been associated with that had that, and that was Charlie Lau and Don Gullett. Huh. Okay, that makes sense. 
Yeah. Well, now, three other real memorable things in 1973. You guys open up the brand new park there. How nice and how exciting was Royal Stadium back then? Oh, it was great to come in to open a new stadium. Let me tell you a funny story about the new stadium, the first game. First game of the season. I have, in my minor league days, I had a guy named Ray Looney who eventually tore up his shoulder. He was a football player at George Washington, a good little bonus player with the Pirates, and he tore up his shoulder, so he kind of cut, he cut his, uh, his career short. He did get the AAA with me. But anyway, he, he ended up going to the FBI. Huh. And he's stationed in Waterbury, Connecticut. Now we're opening this, uh, we stay in, cut, in touch. Now we're opening this stadium this day. So here it comes, opening night, I'm out there early, down the dugout. Here comes two FBI agents <laughs> down the runway. McKean, yeah, talk to you a minute, yeah. Bing, I go talk to them, they slap handcuffs on me. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go up the sky, I said, what, 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 what did I do? You know, come on with us. <laughs> I go up the stairs and... And we finally, they finally convinced me. Ray Looney had called the Kansas City office <laughs> and asked a couple of their agents to do him a favor to go down there and throw the cuffs on me opening night. <laughs> 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 so, oh, I had two or three things like that happen. So from then on, if anybody, any any serious situation came up with the FBI, I'd just laugh it off. From then on, I'm trying to test you guys. Yeah, take a hike. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. That's fantastic. Well, now, another thing. Well, that, I've been, uh, so now he follow us when we come to Boston. Yeah. So we go, we go to Boston, and he he wants tickets. I get him tickets, and him and two or two FBI agents are coming over and staying in a hotel with us. So hey, after the game, we go have a drink. Okay, we go and have a drink. And they got this guy, this, this bearded guy, and I said, I said, Ray, who, who, who's your buddy here? Oh, he said, this is, uh, I forget his name, but he said, this is the number one guy on the mafia's hit list. <laughs> I said, and we're hanging around, I'm hanging around with this guy, and he's on the hit list of the mafia. He infiltrated the mob in, in Buffalo, <laughs> where, they, where they, they, they nailed about six or seven of the mafia guys. But he's our number one guy on the hit list, and we're going around to the different bars with this guy. <laughs> Oh my, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't go out the next night with him. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, now, something else that year, April 27th, you're at Tiger Stadium. I'm I'm assuming you probably remember uh, the first no-hitter right. Royals history, Steve right. Busby? Busby's no-hitter, right. Anything stick out about that night, just, you know, threw the ball well? No, just, you know, probably nobody, nobody dawned on it until about the seventh inning. You had a no-hitter going. You know, yeah. he was pitching well. He pitched a couple of them. He pitched another one. Yeah, well. The next, the next year. Yep, County Stadium that next year. Um, and, then, and then the final, if you remember, we, Nolan Ryan's first no hitter was right there in our stadium. Yeah, yeah. I talked to uh, Gail Hopkins about that. He almost broke that one up, he said. That was the only only ball close, but um, now nineteen seventy three. One other question about that year, then the the All Star game. You know, Johnny Bench hits one of the longest home runs at the K, and I'm assuming you were there for that night too. Right. Yes, I was there. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. exciting to see the the All Star game there. Anything stick out about that game or anything? Yeah, it was great to be you know to be there. And then the next year, I was fortunate enough to go to the All Star game mm-hmm. as a coach mm-hmm. in '74. Yep. So, 74, you guys, a little bit of a disappointing year as compared to how good you were in 73. You were 77 and 85, but then you rebound well in 75. So, you're sitting in second place, you're 50 and 46, and then nobody around here seems to have an answer when I ask people. They kind of just switch managers in the middle of that season and they go with Whitey. So, how surprised were you by that, and what exactly happened? Well, you know, that's, that's management. You know, I guess they, you know, they had a lot of. A lot of uh, people on the outside of the organization say, well, you know, this guy, uh, you know, we started off slow and, and started, to, to, you know, to put it together. And they had built up a case that, uh, you know, I remember a writer, one writer in, in Kansas City. And he, I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I, he came out. He's made quotes that he was, he was doing everything to get me fired. And he would write negative stuff. 
And you know the sad part about it is he wrote this stuff and it was not true, you know, and it made you look like a, you didn't know what you were doing. And then, if you remember, it was 81 or whatever year you guys were in the World Series. Yeah, 80. 82. Yep, 80, yep, with the Phillies. I, I guess it was. I was the general manager of the Padres now. And I came into Kansas City for the World Series. And I was walking down the aisle to my box, or to my seat. And this guy in the beard called me over and said, Hey, Jack, got a minute? Yeah. And he mentioned his name. And he said, uh, I want to apologize. He said, I hope you'll forgive me. He said, I wasn't really fair to you when you were here. I wrote a lot of stuff that wasn't true. I just hope you'll forgive me. Hmm. Well, that justified what I always thought. Yeah. But I said, I said, don't worry about it. I got a better job anyhow. <laughs> yeah, it did work out for you. It did work oh, out. Oh, yeah. Everything's worked out for me. Absolutely. But now I wanted to ask you real quick about Oakland before we talk about San Diego. So 77 <laughs> to 78, you're with Oakland. What what you know, what was that like? Oh, that was the greatest experience you'll ever have. Really? Every, man, every manager should have to manage for Charlie Finley. Really? Oh, yeah. Because you now got to have option A, option B, <laughs> option C, and option D because you're going to be wrong. <laughs> Whatever you did right was wrong. Right. Oh, at six o'clock in the morning, every day he'd call. You know, he's in Chicago. You remember? Okay, and Finley. Hey, and then he start going on about what happened last night. And half the time we won the game. <laughs> and you know, and he say, well, "I got a chance to do this and do that." And I said, "Yeah, well, let me explain." So finally, after about you know, after about about a month, I said, "You know." I gotta start playing his game. So when he start criticizing, I said, "You know something, Charlie? You're right." Well, when I said that, he said, "Ah, don't worry about it." He said, "We all make mistakes. Don't worry about it." <laughs> I, could, I can't tell you all. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you all the stories. I don't have enough time. I mean, <laughs> we'd take us the whole day, and I can't use some of the words. <laughs> Did you like him though? Was he a nice guy overall? Oh yeah, I liked the guy. I liked the guy. I mean, I, I learned a lot from the guy, but. You also, you also had to had a, be smart enough to know what his motives was, and he wanted to control your life. So you kind of, you know, you kind of roll with the punches. You knew, hey, if if we had an off day like today, he'd want you around the hotel or, or around your where were you staying, and he would call just to see if you were there. <laughs> you know, and it was funny because I stayed at this motel out at in Oakland. And, and I had a, had a room right off the pool. Well, I could leave my door open. I'd be out laying at the pool. I could hear the phone ring. <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted to control. He wanted to control your life. And you know, eh, what are you going to do? I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah, what a, what a character he was. So. Then, like you mentioned, you GM the Padres then from end of 80 until 88. And, you know, obviously a lot of accomplishments. We don't have time to talk about all of them. But the one I wanted to ask you about was obviously putting together that 84 team, which uh, which won the NL pennant. So, you know, being a GM with the Padres, what was that like? Well, it was great. You know, the funny thing is when I, when, when, when I left uh, Montreal, I was managing Denver, and John McHale called me and he said, I gave San Diego permission to talk to you. And I said, John, I don't want to go over there because he had told me that I would be the next manager of Montreal. And he, I said, John, I don't want to go over there. They got a lousy team. I can't win with that team. He said, No, Jack, you should go over there. I, I think you'd really be interested in something they got to talk about. Well, they wanted me to be the assistant general manager. Well, I went over there, and Bob Fontaine was the general manager, and he recommended me, and I ended up being the assistant general manager and went to spring training and helped Jerry Coleman get started as manager. And then I went around to look at our farm clubs and make some trade, help make trades and stuff. Well, on July the All Star game, Bob Fontaine got fired. I was in El Paso, Texas, and I called and I said, Bob, what do I do now? I said, You hired me. He said, All right, just continue on what you're doing. I said, Well, I'm going home. He said, Tomorrow. I said, Go ahead. So I went home, got in the house about five o'clock, and the phone went to Ballard Smith, president of the project. <laughs> I want you to do me a favor, come out here and take over the club. He says, we fired Fontaine, and uh, we want you to be the general uh, assistant, uh, interim general manager. You're not going to get the job. Okay, so I went out the next day, 
took over the club, met with Ray, Ray Crock. Ray was the owner, and he said, uh, "Jack, I don't." First of all, he said, "You're not going to get the job. I got to interview all these highfalutin guys." Okay. So uh, he said, "But I don't know anything about baseball. You just do what you think is right and tell me later." Okay, great. That's when that's when I started wheeling and dealing and trading all these guys, and that's how I got the nickname. But anyway. Now, all these guys are coming by, Cedric Tallis, Lou Gorman, Gene Mock, they're all coming by my office up at the stadium to an interview for the job. Uh, how you doing, Jack? Yeah, so, so finally, I don't know what's going on. So finally about, I never forget, my wife called me one day and she said, I see you. Hey, who's going to get the job out there? I see all these guys being interviewed in the paper. I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to get it. She said, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I said, I'll get it. So about a, about a month, about the middle of August, they called me down to the office. Ray and Ballard, and they said, uh, well, we decided on general manager, and we decided on you. Are you interested? You know, we interviewed all these other guys. They told us what they could do. You already showed us what you could do. Do you want the job? I said, yeah. So that's how I ended up getting the job. That's cool. So now I started wheeling and dealing. <laughs> Trader Jack. <laughs> and then I hired Dick Williams as a manager. We came in, and I started bringing in some young guys, and we were close. And I signed Steve Garvey as a free agent against a lot of the bean counters that they didn't want to do it. And Ray Clark said, what do you think, Jack? I said, he's not going to help us win this year, but he's going to help develop these young players. So I got him, and the club finished 500. And now... I convinced him to let me sign Goose Gossage, and I traded for Greg Nettles. And I said, we got a chance to win the pennant. And, of course, Ray died before we had a chance to win it. He never saw us win it. But anyway, when you look at that team, I wanted some veterans around me, around the club, like Garvey at first, Nettles at third, and Goose Gossage in a bullpen and to surround a rookie outfield of Tony Gwynn, Kevin McReynolds and Carmelo Martinez, three rookies, and a rookie second baseman in Alan Wiggins. So those guys helped us win the pennant by whatever, 10 or 15 games, whatever we won. Yeah, that was that's exciting. And I remember you, you know, sitting in that dugout there with, from 1988 to 1990. You get back in the dugout with the Padres. What was that like? Well, the funny thing is I had hired Larry Bowe to manage. Larry, I'd hired him to manage AAA, and he'd won the pennant over AAA, and then we made a change. That's when Dick, uh, I don't know, whoever was, uh, brought uh, brought in Steve, I brought in Steve, I mean, uh, Steve Boris here before, and then I brought in Larry Boa to manage the club. And we had a bad club. You know, where Gosses and some of them guys were gone, and, 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 we, and they were getting old. And anyway, uh, I was trying to retool the club, see, and I started different pieces into, into place, John Crook, guys like that. And the papers and Paula, I said, Larry, look, you only got, I only got about eight or nine good players here. I'll just develop those guys and I'll get you some new players next year. Okay, when I can. Well, next year started. Chuck Feeney now replaced Ballard Smith as president. And the club started off bad. Larry was panicky. One of the writers up there was one of his buddies, and they started ripping, ripping the club. We didn't get any, we didn't have any players, and all this stuff, and and, and ripping Chubb and everybody. And Chubb got got got, uh, got teed off. And one day I, I come into work, nine o'clock. Chubb calls me. He said, "Come on down to my office." We down to down to his office, and he said, "I'm going to fire Boa." You're the boss. Uh, I said, well, you got to replace him. He said, you. <laughs> I said, me? He said, yeah. I said, how much time have I got? He said, I'll give you the 3 o'clock this afternoon to decide. Okay. <laughs> well, I called my wife, my kids. The boys all said, go for it, Dad. The girls said, forget it. You'll need the headaches. <laughs> so I got to thinking, well, you know, they're ripping. We don't have any players. I said, I know we got a better club than this. So I got to thinking, I said, well, if we don't do something, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll take over. So I took over the club. We were 
16 or 18 games under 500. Took over in New York. We ended the season six games over 500. Yeah. And that's when Joan Crock says to me, uh, you can't do both jobs. Can't be the general manager and the manager. Which one do you want? I said, hey, I like both of them. Whatever you want me to do, Joan. She said, I want you to be the manager. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it for three-year contracts. She said, no problem. So I ended up uh, taking the club over for the next couple of years, and that's when she sold the club and they got rid of all of us. Yeah. Well, you fast forward a few years and you're back at it again with big success, like you mentioned earlier. The Reds, ninety-seven to two thousand. You had two incredibly near misses of you know the the postseason, and you were manager of the year in ninety-nine, ninety-six, and sixty-seven was your record. Of course, you know the wild card wasn't around back then. So, your favorite memories of your Reds days? Oh, I was a great, I was a great experience coming in. It's a similar situation. I came in. In mid-season, I, you know, I, I've got the reputation now of being a turnover guy. Yeah. I mean, I come in, I come into Oakland, I turn that over. I come into Kansas, uh, San Diego, I turn that club over in the middle of the year. I go to Cincinnati, and I never forget when they brought me in. Bowden says to me, "You can't win with this club. Only God can win with this club." <laughs> I said, "I'll tell you, we can win." We had 66 games left. I think we were 33 and. For 63, 33 and 30. I said, we're going to win a year. Anyway, you know, you had, you, had, you had to promote the idea of being positive you could win. But anyway, um, uh, we had some success over there. We had some good players. And it was a great baseball town. And, you know, it was a lot of, you know, I, I, I've been around a lot of controversy, you know. <laughs> Charlie said, large shot, you know, go, yeah. on, go on the list. A lot of distraction here. But, uh, overall, I I enjoyed I really I've enjoyed every place I've been. Put it that way, but I enjoyed Cincinnati a lot. What was Marge like, by the way? Was you know what was Marge that? was great. She really, was a great gal. She was a great gal. She was very very charity minded. I mean, you know, she talked like a drunk a sailor sometimes. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, she, that's the way she grew up. You know, she, there was no animosity. It was she didn't mean it. wasn't You know, it wasn't hurtful. But she'll have a call this one or so-and-so or that one or so-and-so and think about another. Yeah. And she said it around the news, news people, and, of course, they blew it up. But she loved this dog, Shotzi, and Shotzi number one died. Now she shaved Shotzi's hair off. And now she got Shotzi two. And every <laughs> night at the ballpark, we'd be down hanging around the batting cage, and here comes Marge with Shotzi. <laughs> hey, honey. That's what she's called me. Hey, honey. Pat Shotzi, uh, Pat Shotzi for good luck. I got to pet this dog for good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Every night. So now we lose about two or three in a row. And she comes down, she slips an envelope in my in my pocket. I don't know where it is. I was kind of hoping it was a check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I go in the clubhouse and I take the envelope out. What do you think it is? It's an envelope full of Shotzi hair. <laughs> Shotzi's one. Okay, so we win. Now we lose three or four more. Some other time, here comes another envelope. <laughs> I had more dog hair in my in my office than they had in the dog pound. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a but great then, story. But then one day, she can't make it. It's raining out. We don't take batting practice. So I'm sitting in my office, and I get a phone call. It's Marge. Hey, honey. Just wanted to call and tell you that Shotzi and I couldn't make it tonight. But Shotzi has something to say. <laughs> I'll put him on. So she, she says, Shotzi says, bow wow. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a good lady. I, I got along with her great. And she was very charitable. And uh, like I said, just used the her choice of words sometimes wasn't was right. That is awesome. That's a cool. She loved that dog, that's for sure. So, oh, yeah, she loves that. Yeah, so manager of the year in 99 with the Reds. You do it again then. Let's flash forward then a few years here. 2003, one of the most special years, I'm assuming, for you in baseball. So you took over the Marlins team. It had been under Jeff Torborg. You guys were under 500, and you finished the season 75-49 and 49 when you take over. So I want to start off by talking about that wild card. How, how special was it in the first place just making the postseason that year? Well, for, for me, it was very special, and for the organization, 
I mean, here's an organization that had not had a winning season under the new, under this ownership. Right. And uh, not only was it special for them, but how about me? All the years in baseball, never got to the playoffs. So we're going in there, and, it, and it's funny, and it, 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 you know, it, it was one of those things, Dave. That I, I guess I was lucky that I didn't need the job. And you know, I was under no pressure to try to make, uh, you know, to make an impression of what kind of manager I was. I'm going to do it what I, my way. You know, if I'm going to if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired doing it my way. I'm, I'm tired of listening to the front office telling me what to do. Yeah. So, so uh, that's the philosophy. And even I told the players, I said, we're going to play unselfish baseball. Leave your egos at the door. And if you don't like it, there's the door, and see you later. Well, they all they, they all bought it in about three weeks, and we started to roll, and everything started to go. Now we're we're we're, we're getting into the last ten or twelve days of the season. And we're we're battling the Phillies, and we, the Phillies come in town to play a four game series, and they're a half a game ahead of us, and we take four in a row, <laughs> three three yeah four in a row. And now we put ourselves in a position where uh, tomorrow night, if we win, we clinch it. So we played the Mets the next on a Friday night, and we clinched it to win the, to win the wild card. And you know everything, everybody went crazy. But that's the first time this organization ever, uh, you know, done anything. But the funny thing about it, Dave, was our guys never paid any attention to the to the. Uh, uh, winning the thing, it was it was like a that wasn't our goal. We want to win the World Series, and, and the guys never let any of that stuff bother. We played like uh, uh, you know, we, we dead end kids. We just played our regular game, didn't have any worries whatsoever. And I used to have a meeting with them. I tell them, guys, look, we play, go play the Giants. The Giants had 103 wins, I think that year. I said, look, guys, hey, no pressure on us. We got no pressure. We ain't supposed to win. Let's go and play our game. Have fun. We 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 beat the Giants. Next day, the same thing. So now we get to the get to the World Series, and the owner says, "Are you going to have a meeting and tell the guys about the <laughs> about Yankee Stadium and all this tradition?" I said, "Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> I said, "These guys don't know whether they're playing Yankee Stadium or Brooklyn. I mean, in Buffalo. <laughs> We're just going to go out there and have fun, and we did." Yeah. Yeah. You, you win the. I, I, I just remember that, you know, the Gonzalez blooping hit. And that, I mean, was that just, was that one of your favorite moments of your career then, obviously, winning that? Oh, no question. That's the greatest thing that ever happened. I mean, you know, once you, once you win a World Series, you're always considered a winner, no matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was, it was special. I, I really, you know, it was funny, Dave. I really didn't realize that we won, we won the, it worked for Ray Kroc in San Diego. And his philosophy was, Persistence is the key to success, and dreams do come true. And we win the game in Yankee Stadium, and all I can do is look up to the heavens and say, thank you, Lord, and Ray Kroc, you're right. Dreams do come true. And, you know, that's the way those guys play. You realize we only had one guy on a team that had ever been in the playoffs. No. Josh Bankett had only won, I think, three games in his career up until that that season. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize what that. What pressure I had to put on when I when they told me I couldn't pitch this guy with three days rest. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, so 2004-2005, you spent two more years there before, quote-unquote, retiring from baseball. Now, we know you'd come back, obviously. But... No, I didn't, re- I didn't say retire. I'm just giving it up for a while. <laughs> oh, okay, giving it up for a while then. So so what were you doing from oh, you know, 06 to 11? What were you up to those days? Well, I, I stayed out as the assistant to the to the owner. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's the same thing I'm doing right now, special advisor to the owner. Okay. And and uh, and then I'm I'm in church in, in eleven. I'm in church. I went to church this Sunday morning, and I come back from church, and my wife says, "Jeffrey Lawyer called you," and she said, "I just heard that the manager had resigned." I said. Oh. <laughs> and we were bad. we were last place, you know. We were bad. We, we didn't have a good club that year, so I got the call. And I said, "Look, we want you to do, do us a favor. We feel like you're the only one that can keep at least keep things together. 
without really going crazy. I would go down. I said, okay, I'll do it for the balance of the year, but that's it. So I did it for the balance of the year, and I moved on again. Yeah, that's... back to my old job. Second oldest manager next to Connie Mack, right? So any any right. any chance Don't we tell see... me out that I won't make the top top of the if the good Lord's willing, <laughs> let me stay on top of the ground. That's Don't what against me. That's what I was going to say. Are we going to see you out there one more that's time? What, who is it? Uh, uh, one of the politicians, the guy Walker. That was what he said the other day. I saw him on television. Don't bet against me. Yeah, yeah, well, that's smart. Well, last three questions for you, and thanks so much for all your time. I guess going back to your Royals days for the last three questions, you know, when you look back to all your days in Kansas City, and you know, both here and in the Royals minor league system, you know, what are your favorite memories when you think of Kansas City right now? Well, my favorite memory is the first walk in the first opportunity to manage in the big leagues. And my, I had a great relationship with the owner, Ewing Coffin, and his family. And second of all, I guess you say, is, is the fact that I – I feel like I, I was contributed a lot to the development of the players that went on to win uh, their first, uh, uh, get in the first World Series in whatever it was, 80. But uh, helping develop, you know, the split arms and the Whites and the Busbys and the, uh, go on down the, the Dennis Leonard's and going down the list, Al Fitzmaurice's, you know, that meant a lot. Yeah. Now, how about Kansas City, you know, just living here and memories of the city as a whole, and then how long has it been since you've been back here? Well, I, you know, first came out there, I lived in Independence, and then the next year was at Blue Springs. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, I've been back there a lot since, and it's, it was a little more quieter when I was out there. You're talking about in the 70s. It wasn't so hectic. But... Uh, I really enjoyed it out there. Really, uh, I never got to spend much time downtown because you always route at the, the other end of the city. Yeah. But uh, overall, the fans were great. The people were great, and I met a lot of friends out there, and had a lot of friends out there. And always used to like to, you know, get together with the Lancers and be with them when they made their trips to Fort Myers and all the functions that we attended. Yeah, yeah. But overall, like I said, I, I you know, I, it's been a special place for me. Yeah. Probably because I got my opportunities to manage in the big weeks and open that stadium. Yeah. Well, last question then is, you know, in summary, what would you like to say uh, to all the Royals fans listening right now? Well, I'd like to say to them congratulations on, you know, last year, but also thank you for the hospitality you've shown me. Uh, I enjoyed my stay out there. I think the people uh, were just wonderful and. They treated me and my family super, and unfortunately, that uh, I didn't get a chance to spend a lot more years out there. Well, you gave us some great years, and you know, thanks for all for all you gave to the organization, both you know, going back to the High Point Thomasville days and up to to KC, and for all the memories. And it's been a you know a pleasure following your career uh, as a you know as, as a baseball fan too, in general, seeing all the success you've had and the things you've done. So you're a neat man, and thanks a lot for your time, and you know, and hopefully we'll talk again one of these days. Well, thank you for having me, and I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, you know, uh, you, I see you've done your homework. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, talking to a, a baseball legend, you got to have the good questions. Uh, you know, a lot to learn. So. Well, enjoyed it. Now I'll, I'll catch us. I'll see you out there somewhere again. And and like I said, don't uh, don't count on me. Don't quit on me yet. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will. Thanks so much, Jack. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Hello.